Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Amanda Balby, with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. A new study evaluated highly sensitive cardiac troponin I and IgA antibodies against beta-2 glycoprotein 1 in the setting of coronary atherosclerosis among patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Today, I'm speaking with the lead author of the study, Dr. George A. Karpuzas, who is a professor of medicine at UCLA and chief of rheumatology at Harbor UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles, California. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Karpuzas. Let's dive into your study. To start, can you tell us more about these biomarkers and why you chose to focus on them? Sure. Cardiovascular risk calculators that are in use for general patients underperform in rheumatoid arthritis risk estimations. Attempts at RA-specific cardiovascular risk calculators have also failed to improve risk prediction in this disease. So we recently reported that serum levels of highly sensitive cardiac troponin I, which is a cardiac-specific structural biomarker, associated with occult coronary plaque burden and cardiovascular events in RA at five years, beyond traditional cardiac risk factors or cardiac risk scores. Additionally, we found that antibodies against beta-2 glycoprotein on of the IgA subclass promoted coronary plaque progression and moderated the effect of inflammation on incident cardiovascular events in rheumatoid arthritis. Specifically, patients without coronary plaque at baseline evaluation had no ischemic cardiovascular events at five years. By contrast, 45% of patients with obstructive or extensive disease suffer cardiovascular events at that time, mark five years, and those patients that have non-obstructive or non-extensive disease, so they're in between the two others, have about three to four percent incidence of ischemic cardiovascular events over the same period of time. So what isn't clear, however, is when to recommend coronary atherosclerosis evaluation with cardiac computed tomographic angiography in RA patients who do not have symptoms or diagnosis of cardiovascular disease. And additionally, it's even less well known whether such an assessment should be repeated in the future. So within the context of this study, we tried to ask two questions. First, whether highly sensitive cardiotroponin I or anti-beta-2 GP1 IgA alone or in combination could in fact improve prediction of coronary plaque presence upon a screening study beyond clinical risk scores. And next, we asked whether either biomarker or their combination can predict progression to extensive or obstructive plaque on follow-up evaluation, which as I mentioned, is associated with such profoundly higher risk of cardiovascular events in both short and long term. Does either biomarker alone or in combination best predict plaque or coronary artery calcium presence on an initial coronary CT angiogram? We previously reported that patients who have high cardiac troponin I have higher prevalence of coronary plaque 
at baseline, and they also have enrichment of different plaque severities across higher tertiles of this biomarker. Also, they have significantly higher extensive or obstructive disease compared to those with low cardiac troponin I. By contrast, there is no significant difference in total plaque presence, at baseline at least, based on better 2GP1 IgA presence. When highly sensitive cardiac troponin I information is added to a baseline prediction model for cardiovascular events that contains only traditional cardiac risk factors, it most certainly significantly improved the prediction accuracy for baseline plaque presence. In contrast, addition of anti-beta-2 GP1 IgA status information did not contribute to this, and the combination of beta-2 GP1-2 highly sensitive cardiac troponin I offered no added benefit to the highly sensitive cardiac troponin I model alone. What all this means is that the presence of highly sensitive cardiac troponin I high levels at baseline may prompt the initial consideration for a screening CCTA. Mm-hmm. And does either biomarker predict progression to extensive or obstructive plaque on a follow-up evaluation? As I mentioned, we previously reported that if you don't have coronary plaque at baseline, these patients had no ischemic cardiovascular events at five or eight years, respectively. By contrast, 45% of those with obstructive or extensive disease suffered ischemic cardiovascular events at five years. So notably, though, only 3% of patients who had no plaque at baseline developed new obstructive lesions at follow-up. Therefore, repeat coronary angiography in the first two groups would obviously be not necessary, arguably. However, 18% of patients who had non-extensive, non-obstructive disease developed extensive or obstructive disease on follow-up CTA. And as I mentioned earlier, this carries a dramatic difference in cardiovascular risk. So it would be important to further understand who of those patients may actually be at risk for such progression and may therefore benefit from a follow-up CCTA evaluation to confirm it. Also, we recently reported that beta-2 GT1 IGA presence at baseline independently associated with coronary plaque progression, whereas CTNI alone did not. So we evaluated whether beta-2 GP1 IgA presence would associate it with an increased risk of non-obstructive disease to extensive obstructive disease, and we did find, in fact, that this was the case. 43% of patients who had beta-2 GP1 positivity with non-extensive non-obstructive disease proceeded to develop extensive obstructive disease compared to 8% of those without. And that was specifically true for patients who had an initial CTA based on a high cardiac troponin I. In that case, 71% of double positive patients, meaning beta-2 GP1 IgA and high sensitive cardiac troponin I patients, had this transition compared to only 7.7% of those who were negative for beta-2 GP1 IgA. So when you add the information of uh, beta-2 GP1 IgA to this baseline model again of only traditional cardiac risk factors, then this 
better 2GPL information significantly again improved the prediction accuracy of developing extensive obstructive disease at follow-up. Mm-hmm. You and your colleagues ultimately conducted this study to better understand when to proceed with coronary atherosclerosis evaluation in asymptomatic patients with RA and whether such an assessment should be repeated in the future. Do your findings suggest screening asymptomatic patients with RA? I think in order to answer the importance of this is to just say that the clinical manifestations of cardiovascular disease in patients with rheumatoid arthritis is quite different than the ones that do not have this disease. So patients with rheumatoid arthritis are much less likely to have typical symptoms of chest pain and angina and actually are much more likely, they're five times more likely to present with either sudden cardiac death or an asymptomatic myocardial infarction. So if we just decide to wait until the people become symptomatic, we may have missed a big chunk of patients that actually are already at risk and have plaque that is very high risk. Remember, the premise of our study, what we showed at baseline, and this is a cohort of fully asymptomatic patients, is that in asymptomatic patients who have extensive or obstructive disease, 45% of them will develop ischemic cardiovascular events within five years, which would suggest a two-step approach. So what we would suggest is that above and beyond the clinical cardiovascular risk stratification we do for our patients in rheumatology clinic, perhaps an evaluation of cardiac troponin I in everybody may be a starting step. So for those who have a high cardiac troponin I at baseline, regardless of their cardiovascular risk bracket, we would advise that a CCTA screening procedure gets done. And based on what we find there, we can proceed. If we find that there is no plaque at all, the coronaries are clean, then that suggests that these patients are very low risk and we can proceed with lifestyle modification if patients are very high risk by virtue of having obstructive plaque, then obviously we should immediately start aggressive therapy for prevention of those patients. And we do know that this therapy works for a randomized controlled trial, a multi-center one with many, many thousands of patients that was done in Scotland recently. However, for patients who are in between, they have plaque, but it's not obstructive, it's not extensive. If those patients are positive for beta-2 GP1, they deserve a second look because if they are, about 40% of them will have a chance of developing obstructive plaque at follow-up. And as I mentioned earlier, this is associated with a much higher risk of cardiovascular events and massive change in therapeutic approach. Great. So what would you say is the overall key take-home message from your study? I think that these biomarkers can basically inform the utility of a baseline screening study and can certainly help us understand which patients may require repetition of this study in our quest to optimize cardiovascular risk assessment in rheumatoid arthritis. Absolutely. Thank you again for speaking with me today, Dr. Karpuzas. 
Amanda, thank you so very much for the opportunity to communicate to the greater rheumatology community what the key messages of our findings are.